that girl since she was nine years old, and she has always been able to sing. Girl just born with it. It's not fair, but it's, it's reality. All right, why don't you guys do this? Grab your Bibles. We're going to dive right into it this morning. If you don't have your Bibles, then uh, open up our, our Celebration Church app. We've got a Bible in there. Inside that app, you can sign up for the Dream Team. If you haven't joined a life group yet, we've got like 54 of them. You need to join one. You'll love it. I'm in one. I love it. Um, but uh, just everything you need is inside that app. Uh, all right. So we're in week two of a series called Seven. In the book of Revelations, there is a guy named John who got put in prison because he was preaching about Jesus. And Jesus himself shows up while he's sitting in prison, which is so awesome for a, a hundred reasons. But one of them is John describes what Jesus looks like. And let me just say this. If you've ever seen a painting of Jesus, a picture of Jesus, he does not look that way in heaven. He doesn't look that way. Um, he looks completely different than he did while he was on earth. But I talked about that in part one. I'm not going to get into it again. You can listen to it on the app. Surprise, surprise. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, Jesus, when he showed up, there was seven lampstands around him. And he told John, I walk among the lampstands. He said, the, the lampstands, these are churches. And so what he was saying is, is like when I walk in the midst of the church, he literally walks among us. So he, he walks down the aisle and through the aisles. He walks among us. And, and he says, there's, there's one church in particular that I want to talk to you about. He, and he begins to talk about this church called Smyrna. Uh, I like the name of our church better, don't you? Celebration. Uh, but anyway, that's beside the point. He says, I want to talk to you about this church of Smyrna. Smyrna. And so uh, basically John pulls out a, a pen and paper and he begins to write down every single word. Now, this is a big deal because this particular church uh, was in serious poverty. Uh, each family, each person was experiencing financial stress beyond uh, what they ever dreamed that they would have. And uh, in addition to that, they admired certain church leaders and these church leaders uh, in the community were just hurling insults at them, and, and they were no doubt having to fight for what they really believed in. Have you ever asked yourself, man, I don't even know if I believe in God. Have you ever been there? Uh, if you haven't been there, you need to be there. I know that sounds crazy, but until you have wrestled doubt, you cannot truly believe. you got to wrestle it. At some point, you got to wrestle it for yourself because... You're only going to believe what your mommy told you to believe for so long before you have to figure it out for yourself. Are you with me? And so uh, they, they were starting to doubt themselves. So here, this church, they're poor and they're fighting doubt. So Jesus says, look, I'm going to I want to talk with you and see, uh, no doubt these people may have been surprised. Look, here I am doing everything I know how to do. Um, I'm, I'm in church. Uh, I'm trying to worship. I'm trying to be faithful. 
and I'm flat broke. And every good friend I had that I've looked up to is now hurling insults at me. Have you ever gone to church like two times in a row and thought, I'm going to church? Or you've been going to church for two years. You're like, I'm going to church. Why is this happening to me? Have you ever thought that? you ever thought that? Um, if you haven't, I have a lot. So I've thought it enough for all of us. Uh, my goodness, what else do I need to do here? And sometimes we look at church and we look at Christianity uh, like um, as soon as we get a part of this community, uh, all of our problems are going to go away. Which is so 100% wrong. Ten of the twelve disciples were killed for believing what they believed. That's kind of a problem. Uh, And so it's just a a fallacy. It's a a wrong belief system. Now, uh, it's not anything that hasn't happened to me in other areas of my life. I I clearly remember um, my wife coming to me about three years after we were married. And she's like, I want to get pregnant. And I was like, why? Let's go to the mall and go to that little playland and just watch kids. And let's let's decide if we really want to do this or not. Um, And so then she talked me into it and we're all excited about having kids. And and I knew everything about parenting until they showed up. I I had these these dreams of, man, I'm just my kids are never going to sit in front of the the TV. They're never going to play video games. We're just going to do math problems all day. Now I'm just like, I know they shouldn't be on that TV, but just thank God they're quiet. So if you are a parent and you no, let me say it this way. If you're sitting in this room right now and you slept like a baby last night. You don't have a baby. Are you with me? I, 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 I talked to my wife sometimes. She goes, you know, when I go into the bathroom and I lock the door and nobody knocks on the door, I feel like I just I, I was like at the spa for the day. It's like a highlight of the day is that nobody knocked on the door while she was in the bathroom. And then that's life with three kids. It's like this bait and switch. Marriage is that way, too. On my wedding day, I was like, I'm getting married. I'm getting married. So 15 years later, um, let me say it this way. Uh, I heard this this uh, this this woman say this. I once gave my husband the silent treatment for an entire week. Is anyone here like you're not trying to brag or anything, but you can do the silent treatment. Anyone? I know you don't want to raise your hand because you blow your cover, but <laughs> she, she says, I once gave my, my husband the silent treatment for the entire week. And at the end. He declared, hey, we've been getting along pretty good lately. (laughs) Not everything is what you appear it to be. It's like, I thought this was going to be different. Well, Jesus could see that this church of Smyrna, they were struggling. And, And so the title of our talk this morning is Believing Yet Struggling. Still believing, but I'm struggling. What are we going to do here? And so Jesus has John write them a letter and he covers three things. He covers suffering. 
He covers the opposition, the people that are making life miserable for them. And then he gives them a promise. And so let's unpack those three thoughts real quick. Uh, in Revelations he's, 2 verse 9, it says this. I know about your suffering and your poverty. Point number one is suffering. Now, uh, if you're reading the Bible by yourself, I want to encourage you, don't get caught up in how much you're reading. Read slow and just digest it. Because just those words alone really uh, encourage us. He's saying this, he goes, I, I know about your suffering. I, I know about your problems. Every single person that you look at today, every person that you look at this week, they are fighting a battle far greater than you will ever know. They are fighting a battle. They are in the middle of fighting a battle. Uh, I used to have this neighbor on my street, never talked to him. And I used to look at him, and I used to think, this guy is the rudest guy I've ever met. If I could vote him off the island, I would. This guy is just rude. He just comes out of his house, he checks his mail, he walks back in his house. He comes out of his house, he checks his mail, he walks back into his house. He comes out of his house, he checks his mail, he walks back to his house. And I'm just like, this guy is just rude. He's just straight rude. You know what I found out? That his son was riding a motorcycle 20 years ago, got into a terrible accident. His son turned into a paraplegic. And inside that house, his son is in that bedroom, and he hasn't been out of that bedroom in 20 years, and, and he is his son's nurse. Let me say this again. Everyone you look at is fighting a battle bigger than what you'll ever know. Uh, Jesus has John write this letter and he says, I know about it. I know about it. I know exactly what you're going through. Let me just hit rewind and go back to my neighbor for a minute. That really taught me a lesson because now every time I see a person whose countenance is down and it just looks mean, it looks rude, um, I think to myself, his problem or her problem must have gotten so big that they can no longer cover it up anymore. Because all of us have battles that are bigger than what anyone else knows about. But up to a certain degree, we can cover it up. You can cover it with a smile. You can cover it with a laugh. You can cover it with your personality. But then there's a certain threshold that it crosses and you just can't cover it anymore. And it gets to that size. And, and Jesus says, I just want you to know I'm aware of it. I want you to know that I know. And then he says this in Revelations chapter 2, verse 9, the second half of the verse. He says, I know about your suffering and your poverty. And then he just throws a wrench into the moment. He says, but you're rich. Now. If you don't know God, you could almost get mad at him for that. 
It's like, hold on, you just told me you know how poor I am. Now you're telling me how rich I am. Either A, you don't know how poor I am, or B, we are having a major communication problem here. But when you back up and and you realize this, that in Acts chapter 5, the disciples were preaching about Jesus. They got arrested. They got whipped. Blood coming out of their back. They get thrown in prison. They get they're walking out of the town. They look at each other and they say this. The, The disciples looked at each other and they said, we are worthy to have suffered. What? There is a certain honor that is only given to people who suffer. Only them. There's a certain honor that only they get. And it is so significant that people who know about it are unsure whether or not they want their problem to go away anymore. I'll give you another example. Paul, in the Bible, he says, I prayed three times for this thorn to go away. Now, some theologians say that his thorn was the fact that he was losing his eyesight, which was why he had to have other people write the letters for him. He says, I prayed three times. Now, I don't know what problem you guys are facing. We haven't talked about it. But let me just say this. Losing your eyesight is pretty close to the top. Can we all agree on that? He says, but the Lord said that my grace is sufficient. Now, watch this. This is God. He's saying, I see your problem. Instead of taking the problem away, instead of doing that, I'm going to increase the grace. Hmm. A, you can have the problem taken away. Or B, I can increase the grace. Before you make a knee-jerk quick answer, let's discuss what grace is. Grace is when the presence of God in your life, for example, on a scale 1 to 10, it's a 2, and all of a sudden it becomes a 10. His virtues begin to flow in your life. You begin to feel the presence of God more than you ever have before. The wisdom of God, the peace of God, the understanding of God, the counsel of God, all of these virtues begin to envelop you. The grace increases. Now, which one would you rather have? Would you rather have the problem removed or the grace increased? Hmm. There's certain gifts that are given to people who suffer. In fact, Paul says this, he goes, I bear the stripes of a man who has believed in God. In other words, I've got stripes on my sleeve. I went to New York City um, about uh, two years after 9-11. Saw these policemen walking around and they're, they're everywhere. But every once in a while I saw a policeman 
that had a certain badge and it just said 9-11. Now, the people that joined the New York Police Department after 9-11 didn't have the badge because they didn't go through that. And I'm just telling you, I'm just, I'm just saying, when I saw the guys with the 9-11 badge, there was a certain awe that I felt towards them. What I watched on TV, they lived. They were in it. They had the soot and the smoke and the screams. They were in it. I watched it. They have the stripes to reflect it. They didn't get the problem taken away, but when they came out of it, they had a certain degree of authority that nobody else had. So we can take away the problem or we can increase the authority and the grace. At that moment, you really start wrestling on which one you'd rather have. Let me ask you, when you look back on your life and you see the hardest seasons of your life that almost broke you, and then you see yourself today, and you look back on that season, you say, that season almost broke me. But then you realize the strength that you have today, in large part, came out of that season. So let me ask you, would you like for me to have gone back in time, we'll go into a time machine and go back and allow that whole season to never happen? Which one would you rather have? Be the you today with the strength that you have, the wisdom that you have, the understanding that you have, the maturity that you have. Or take all of that away because you never had that season. Which would you rather have? Let's think about that. Can't have both. A lot of people want both. They want the authority. But they don't want to go through the experience. Are you with me? So Jesus looks at him and says, I know you're hurting. He says, but you're rich. And then he shifts gears. He goes, let's talk about the opposition. And he says it this way. He goes, he goes in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they're Jews, but they're not. He, he says... The people that are around you, they say that they're Christians. They call them Jews. They say they believe in God, but they don't. Have you ever met somebody that they say, I'm a Christian, and you're like, if you're a Christian, I'm Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Have you ever thought that? If you're a Christian, I'm Michael Jordan. There's no way you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I read a stat recently that 89% of America is Christian. Seriously. It's one thing. You can call yourself whatever you want. I can call myself the president and the CEO of Chevron if I want to. The reality is, is that I've never, I, don't even, I couldn't even find a Chevron office. I can't even find a Chevron gas station. Are you with me? I can call myself whatever I want. 
But what, what, what the Lord is saying, he goes, you are being opposed by people that are calling themselves Jews, but they're not. And, and so they're, they're Christians, they're calling themselves Christians, but they're making real Christians feel bad about being Christian. Did you get that? Uh, let me see if I can say it this way. Um, A.W. Tozer said it this way. Not wanting to appear judgmental, we mistakenly try to make biblical truth fit the culture around us. And so, uh, watch this. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, uh, Isaiah, would you stand up real quick? So let's say Isaiah is, is not a, a Christ believer. He, he's not part of the community of believers that are all throughout the world. I am. But I don't want to offend him. And I don't want to look like I think that I'm better than he is. And so what I'm going to do is, is that I'm going to change what Christians are supposed to believe to make him feel more comfortable. And now I'm going to substitute mercy and love for truth. Because mercy and love is awesome. But it should never replace truth. Are you with me? I got to give credit to Sarah for this. Beth Moore said this and she shared it with me. You can go ahead and sit down, Pastor Isaiah. It says this. Um, oftentimes, and, and she didn't call it secular Christianity. I, I read this term in another article that there's this term out there called secular Christianity. Now, it sounds like an oxymoron. How can you be a secular Christian? That's like saying, I don't believe in God, but I do. I'm starving, yet I'm full. What are we talking about right now? But there's a term called secular Christianity. And this is what it looks like. They set the Bible aside to become more like Jesus. Watch. They sacrifice the truth for the sake of showing love. Oh, you can keep living that way. Everybody's, all good people go to heaven. If you just believe in God, you're going to go to heaven. If that's the case, why are devils in hell? They believe in God. Watch. Here's the target. We have to live in the tension between truth and love. There's a tension there. And how do we do that? There is this sense of, in, in Philippians chapter 2, it says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So in other words, when an opposition, when somebody comes against you and it starts to shake your faith, they say things that make you doubt what you know is true. You start doubting it. When it starts shaking you, that's when you have got to dig deep on the inside of you to figure out what do I really believe and is what I'm saying I believe biblical? Is it in the Bible? Because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says that 
right before Jesus comes back in the last days, because Jesus is coming back to the earth. In the twinkling of an eye, he's coming back to the earth. And, and if your heart is not ready to see him, you will not go with him back to heaven. Now watch this. In the last days, right before that happens, people, the Bible says this, that they will forsake biblical teaching. Dude, you preach the Bible. I don't agree. And they're going to leave and look for other teachers. The Bible says this, that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. So in other words, don't tell me that there is a culture of heaven that we need to begin to adopt and to become familiar with right now. Don't tell me that there is a certain standard of living that I need to pursue. I want to live anywhere I want to live and we're all going to heaven. They're going to look for preachers that preach like that. Funny ones, good-looking ones, awesome ones. Ones that just make you go, Oh, I feel so good about me. I want you to feel good about you too, but I want you to feel better about the future you. I want you to feel better about what's coming. And so here's, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, I'm aware of what you're going through. You're going through a lot. You're going through a lot of stress. You're going through a lot of concern. You're going through pressure financially. You're going through people who you admire are now making you doubt everything that you ever thought. I know about your suffering. I know about your opposition. I know about everything that you're going on. He says this, but I've got a promise for you. I've got a promise for you. And this is what he says. In Revelations chapter 2, verse 9, I know the blasphemy that's opposing you. I'm sorry, um, in verse 10. But if you remain faithful, I don't need you to be perfect. You're going to say something. Oh, I wish I didn't say that. Oh, I wish I didn't think that. Oh, I wish I didn't do that. I don't need perfection. I just need you to be faithful to me. Right? If you remain faithful... Even when facing death, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. It doesn't, you hear what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how bad it gets. I'm telling you, when life gets hard, usually the first thing to stop is their relationship with Jesus. It's like, ah. Oh. says, if you, it doesn't matter how bad it gets, if you remain faithful, I'm going to give you a crown of life. Let me do this. Let me bridge that with another scripture. It reads like this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, it says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, more than conquerors is an interesting set of words. Because what Jesus is saying is, you're not going to just conquer. You're going to more than conquer. Which is strange. That's like the Boston Celtics playing the Los Angeles Lakers. And the Boston Celtics are going to more than win. That's like two gladiators fighting in an arena. And one gladiator 
more than wins. It's confusing. Unless you back up and think about it just a little bit. When a person who is fighting unforgiveness, they're fighting hatred towards a person. They're fighting it. It's in them. They're fighting it. It's hard for them to forgive. It's hard. And then, you know, once that is inside of you, it's hard to just keep it streaming towards one in particular person. Pretty soon it starts it starts affecting a whole bunch of people. So now it's hard for you to forgive everybody. And so that person's fighting this. Oh, oh, I'm fighting this. It's in them. And so then all of a sudden they conquer it. They're no longer unforgiving. They have forgiven. So they conquered it. Now, how do they become more than a conqueror? Now, they haven't just forgiven that one person. Now they have become the most merciful person that they've ever met. They're merciful to everyone. And they help other people get over their bitterness and over their anger and over their hatred and over their unforgiveness. They help other people so that that freedom that they had to fight for is now being passed on to other people. They're more than a conqueror. Let's take a person who is in debt. They're in debt. They don't have two dimes to run together. They're fighting this thing. Then they conquer it because they're no longer in debt. How does that person become more than a conqueror when they become more generous than they ever have before? They can't give enough away. So they didn't just conquer it. Now they're more than a conqueror. You take two people that uh, are in an unhealthy relationship and the unhealthy relationship falls apart and one person is hurt and and, and totally feels depleted. And then having to, to claw themselves back up. And maybe some of you have never been here. But claw yourself back up because an unhealthy relationship wounded you. And then to conquer that so now you're whole and healthy. You've conquered that season. Now you're healthy and whole. But to be more than a conqueror, you're not just healthy and whole. You recognize when somebody else is hurting because they are where you were and you show them how to get through hell. See, once you've been through hell a few times, you know your way around. Are you with me? You just say, hey, I've been here before. See, when your sentence starts off with this, I've been there before. You're on the verge of becoming more than a conqueror. Some people are just happy with conquering. That was rough. God backs up and goes, I want you more than a conqueror. I want you to back up and go, That was rough. Hell, you almost broke me. Here's more than a conqueror. Now you're going to pay for that for the rest of my life. You're going to pay for that. You're going to pay. You're going to pay for that. 
That's that's more than a conqueror. A conqueror will oftentimes keep the battle to themselves because it was so hard and it was so rough that they just want to spend the rest of their life going, which is understandable. But God says, I, I want you to be more than a conqueror. I want you to find somebody and show them the route. So there's three things that he told that church. He said, one, I know what you're going through. These people that are opposing you, they're trying to shake your faith. If you just dig your feet in, I've got a promise for you. You're not just going to conquer. You'll be more than a conqueror. This is why I love life groups so much. This is why. Every Sunday I come up here and go, are you in a life group yet? 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 Because everybody here, to some degree or another, in one area of life or another, you have gone through a season, came out of a season, and went, whew, that almost killed me. I'm backing up and saying, you conquered it, but will you please be more than a conqueror because the opportunity is there. Sit down in a room and say, I was addicted to drugs for 15 years. I can show you the dots to prove it. And when you're there, there is no... I had somebody who was addicted to heroin tell it to me like this because I couldn't understand. Why don't you just stop? If you're addicted, just stop. What's the big deal? I'm talking about it like it's Diet Coke. person said this. When you're addicted to heroin... It's like putting a plastic bag over your head and trying to breathe air. That's how bad, as bad as you would want air, is how bad I want heroin. When a person beats heroin, they are a conqueror. But to be more than a conqueror, is to go find that person who is trying to suck air out of a bag and say, I know the way out. That's why you go into a life group. It's not for you. It's not for you. There's somebody in the room that needs to hear your story. So people laugh at me all the time. Oh, sign up for a life group. Let me guess. In the app. I'm like, yeah, in the app. Ha, ha, ha. Open up the stupid app. (laughs) Everybody stand your feet for me, please. Can our prayer partners...